When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the One Short Podcast, the Sports Gazette's official cricket podcast. I'm Toby, as always joined by Ayush. How are you, mate? I'm doing good. To, uh, speaking to Nick last time was a lot of fun and looking forward to another good episode today. Absolutely, and we've been joined by Michael again. A few episodes off you've had, but you're back, back joining us, which is good to see. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, not a lot has changed since I was last on the pod. England is still terrible. Uh, but yeah, really enjoyed your podcast with Nick on the weekend. Highly recommend that. Um, yeah, not looking forward to talking about England being terrible again. Yeah, it's been a, another tough week for, for England losing to India over the weekend. They got off to what seemed to be quite a good start, having India 229 for nine from their 50 overs. Only Rohit Sharma passing 50, looking very nice for his 87. Um, pick of the bowlers, David Willey took a great threefer. Um, and Chris Wokes finally seemed to find some form again, taking two wickets and going at an economy of 3.66. So he's find, managing to find a little bit of control, which is good to see. England then, as you might have expected, collapsed. Uh, 129 all out inside 35 overs yet again. Problems still continue. Let's start with the bowling, though, Michael. It seemed much, much better from this England side. Chris Wokes and David Willey had great control up the top. Didn't really let the Indian batters get on top of them at any point. What do you think? Any, do you think anything in particular was different, or just they managed to find their lengths and line a bit better? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I was I was feeling really good after India's innings because I thought we'd actually got a bit of form back. I mean, I know it's too late in the tournament, but uh, Chris Wokes in particular, I was really impressed with. Uh, he kind of bounced back from his terrible start to the World Cup, uh, bowled really well, and Butler kept uh, Wokes out there for the first, I think it was 15 overs, he bowled consecutively, um, but he was on form and he just kept going, it was really impressive. And yeah, David Willey as well, someone who maybe is, has been on the per- periphery of that team in the last few years, but he, he bowled well against India. Um, yeah, and I think, and Adil Rashid again, as as always, you know, class. But um, I'm not sure about what, what's changed, you know. I, it was probably a good pitch, which, because uh, India's bowlers just absolutely ran through England's batsmen. So, you know, that suggests that, I mean, Shami only bowled seven overs, but four wickets, 3.14 economies, insane numbers. Boomer, as always, really good. Um, and Yadav as well, bold. Uh, Josh Butler, I remember that absolute peach, that was amazing. But yeah, um, it was good to see England and Chris Wokes in particular bowl well. Uh, but obviously, it just wasn't enough. No, it, it was it was a tough day out on the batting front for for England, losing by a hundred runs, exactly in the end there. 
But India seemed to make the most, sorry, didn't seem to make the most of, of their, their batting opportunity when it got to the halfway point. A lot of collapses going on, Ayush. But when you sort of compare that to, to what England managed, Sharma in particular really seemed to, to bat well. 87, he's been in great form this tournament, hasn't he? Fantastic. He's been the best batter by far so far in this Indian team. With India overall, uh, you know, this was the first time in the tournament that they batted first. And they needed that. They needed to get, I mean, they've been chasing consistently, batting first. Uh, so that was good. But the first time they batted first, you could see the problems uh, or a little bit of maybe a weakness somewhere. So I think it's it's the only, only problem that they have right now, the only thing that they must be worried about. Uh, but given this batting unit, yeah, I think the next time they get a chance to bat first, they'll try to really go big and if they can get a, get a better wicket because like Michael mentioned yeah, it was a tricky wicket uh, Lucknow you don't expect it in Lucknow that you know out of the 19 wickets that fell 13 were picked up by fast bowlers and 7 uh, even when India bowled 7 were Shami and Bumrah so you don't expect that in Lucknow as usual usually they're rank turners but yeah I think when it comes to this Indian team, everything's firing, but they'd like to put on a big score when they bat first next. And Rohit is going to be absolutely crucial to that, giving that start at the top. And he can score hundreds at a strike rate of more than 150 as well. Yeah, he's, he's really stepped up his game, I, I think, in the last few years. I mean, looking back at 2019, he had, he had a good World Cup in 2015 as well. Um, but him and Darwin didn't really put on the monster scores at a rapid rate that the other teams in the competition were at. Whereas he just, something seems to have, have flicked or changed over the last couple of years. Um, and he's, he's really started going hard at the top. And I think it's it's crucial to, to India, particularly in setting up these chases, which they do absolutely love. We also were talking a little bit beforehand about Shreyas Iyer. You're not the biggest fan of him in this team. You want to bring Kishan in, you think it'd be a better option. Um, why, why do you think this is? So I think, I mean, Shreyas is, he's really good. He's really talented. He's, he's deserved this chance, his place in the team, because of his numbers. You just see his numbers in ODI cricket and he's done really well. But a sh- the short ball is a very clear weakness with him right now. If he's not able to kind of, uh, work, I mean, work on that or kind of get better over there, then that's like a very assured wicket for the opposition. Just bowl short to him. Sooner or later, he's going to get out to it. Apart from that, why I would like to see Ishan Kishan in there is the variety in the top seven. Right now, Ravindra Jadeja is the only left-handed batter in that top seven. And I'd like to see someone like an Ishan Kishan in there as well. He's proven in the past that he can play in the middle order. We saw it in the Asia Cup as well against Pakistan when yeah, they were the top order collapsed. It was 60 or for four. And then he stitched that partnership with Hardik Pandya. And they got India to a decent enough total. So and he can play at the top. He can play in the middle. He can take on the spinners, especially if uh, you see left-arm spinners, someone like a Mitchell Santner in one of the other top teams, Keshav Maharaj. And with Australia, the leggy in Adam Zampa. So a left-handed batsman coming in can really, from the get-go, take on these spinners of the opposition and neutralize them. Yeah, it would be crucial just to, as you say, mix it up a little bit. Um, 
I think the one thing that you can't forget when you're sort of just picking a left-hander for left-hander's sake is that you also have to look in the stats. Like, matchups are fantastic, but Virat Kohli's a great player of leg spin and, and spin generally as well. I mean, he's a great player, full stop. But, um, but I mean, I don't know exactly what Kishan's stats are, but if he can get on top of um, spinner, like left hand, left arm spinners and, and leg spinners, then that would obviously be crucial if the rest of the Indian team maybe struggle against it a bit more or whatever it might be. And I mean, there's a possibility Rashid took a couple wickets um, today. They were somewhat the lower order. He got Sharma, but then he also got Jadeja as well. Um, so I think it would be interesting to see. And, and there could be a good option. Treyas hasn't made runs since early on in this tournament. And that is a long time ago when you, when you do get on to thinking about these things. Michael, England's batting, we do have to mention it yet again, but they just failed. No one made any runs. 27 from Liam Livingston, top scored. And he did it off 46 balls, the most un-Liam Livingston-esque innings. What do you think is happening with this England batting side? Is it now just that because they've not made any runs, it's just spiralling out of control? Or is there something else that's going on behind it, do you think? Um... I don't, I don't know, but I don't think anyone knows, really. Like, these guys are quality players. They shouldn't be collapsing the way that they are, you know. Like, looking at the scorecard, it's just terrible. Joe Root out for a golden duck, and then Ben Stokes comes in, another duck. Just, yeah, shocking, really. I mean, when you... When Nick, on the podcast on the weekend, was really interesting. He was talking about Jason Roy. Um... I think I wouldn't have picked Jason Roy, but you can see his argument. With Jason Roy and that team, we just seem to have that opening partnership. Him and Bairstow, they have a really good strike rate generally, and they get us going, and it takes so much pressure off the Joe Roots, the Ben Stokes, who can come in and kind of re-establish partnerships, and there's not as much pressure on them to kind of uh, start piling on the, start getting the run rate up or, you know, you know, getting their strike rate up or whatever. So, yeah, uh, it's a tough one because these guys are England legends, you know, you don't want to pile on them too much, but they've just had a terrible tournament and it's, I mean, it's really hard to put it down to, you know, like one or two factors. Ultimately, it's probably a mixture of a few things, pressure, confidence, conditions, but... It's just not been good enough for him. No, it has been been a big struggle. I personally, I mean, putting it out here now, David Willey, pinch hitter at the top of the order, could be an option. They have to change something up. I mean, I can't see it happening at all. But if you want someone to play like Jason Roy, David Willey is probably the most equipped person in the squad, which is a slightly worrying thing to, <laughs> to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was sort of having to think about this um, over the last couple of days. I think one thing that, that I've sort of come upon that has been a huge difference between 2019 and 2023 is the the roles within the side. When Morgan was in charge, the every player within the England 11 and the 15 and even the players outside the squads knew exactly what every single role within the squad was. If you're opening the batting, you're going hard, you're attacking Johnny Best or Jason Roy. Root was always going to come in at three unless England were absolutely flying and he was going to bat the way he always did. Um, you then had sort of Morgan, um, Stokes and Butler at four, five and six just to accumulate for, for a good amount of time and then explode at the end. Um, and then Ali at seven or, or Wokes at seven 
hopefully wouldn't get down that low. But if it did, they they were normally in towards the end of the innings and, and could bat in in whatever way Morgan wanted them to and, and their roles to find them to. On the bowling front as well, it was it was very obvious who was meant to be doing what. You had Archer and Wokes, and it would have been Willie before that um, taking wickets early doors. They wanted to attack, get on top of the game. You then had Plunkett. Rashid and Ali just suffocating teams throughout the middle. And then at the death, they, they pretty much had won games before it even got that late on because they were so aggressive early on and, and sort of managed to, to take teams out um, right at the beginning of the innings. And I think when you look at this side right now, it doesn't seem like Matthew Mott and uh, Joss Butler and, and the sort of England's um, selectors really know what they want with the team. I think if you take Malan in, you bring Malan in and, and drop Jason Roy, there's no problem with that, particularly when Malan was so informed. But it means you have to then adapt the roles and people don't seem to really know what they're trying to do. And you can tell just by the, the number of changes that seem to be happening every single match. And this is only the second time England have named an unchanged eleven in the World Cup. When you go back to 2019, England played basically the same eleven the whole way through other than... Jason Roy getting injured for a couple of games. Vince came in and played exactly the same way or tried to. And they made a tactical change, bringing Liam Plunkett in for Mo and Ali because um, Ali just wasn't quite on form and, and Plunkett throughout the middle overs had been crucial leading up to it. Um, and I just don't think there's been this clarity with this England side um, throughout the rest of this tournament so far that, that there was in 2019. I don't know what, what you make of that, are you sure? Or if you think there are other issues within the signal side that, that maybe we haven't thought about so far. Yeah, what you mentioned, I think that does that has played a role, but the lack of clarity when it comes to roles, definitely. But then I think it's just confidence. As, as the tournament has progressed, it's just a complete loss of confidence. I don't think that these guys were, at the start of it, were really... I mean, I think they were confident. Uh, but as the tournament has progressed and the way just things have unraveled, it's kind of hit them even harder. I think Chris Wokes said it the other day after the India match that if we could buy a little bit of confidence, we'd pay a lot of money for it. And yeah, that sums it up. It, it, they're absolutely rattled right now in their heads. Uh, it's just they don't know how to take it from here. So I think, yeah, it's a combination of definitely lack of clarity of role, but they just keep falling down the hole even further. It has completely spiralled spiraled out. And I mean, mathematically, England can still qualify. Mm. It takes a lot of, of luck and is going to be very unlikely to happen. Um, for them to qualify, Australia or New Zealand wouldn't be able to win another match from their remaining three. And England would have to win all of their remaining three matches and the net run rate would have to swing heavily in England's favour, who are currently at negative 1.6 compared to Australia's 0.97 and New Zealand's 1.2. Um, so I think it is pretty much all over for the England side. But they won't actually know if they're out of the World Cup until they lose to Australia in a week's time, basically, uh, which is crazy to think about. Um, but speaking of that, Afghanistan have been absolutely stunning this World Cup so far. They beat Sri Lanka last night in, in what was a really good game in the end. Um, they calmly managed to chase down Sri Lanka's 241 um, with 50s spread throughout the middle order for Ramat Shah, 
Hashmatilla and Asmatilla. Um, and they just looked really cool or ice cool trying to trying to chase us down, which is a slight surprise for Afghanistan. I used they've generally not been a great chasing side and focused on trying to get some sort of a total on the board and then letting their spinners do the damage. But this World Cup, they've done it a couple of times now and they look really good uh, each time. Absolutely. Again, the focus was on the spinners. We spoke about it earlier as well on the on the spin quartet, the four guys. Uh, and it was Afghanistan's bowling. When you always thought whether Afghanistan could win a couple of matches, spring a few upsets, they've done a lot more than that already in this World Cup. But you'd always talk about their bowling coming to the fore, led by Rashid Khan. The bowlers have done well. Yeah, they have. But it's this batting. I mean, the last two chases, this one against uh, Sri Lanka, the one against Pakistan, I think they've they've scored almost 500 runs combined in both those chases and lost only five wickets. Because they lost only three against Sri Lanka and I think they won against Pakistan by eight wickets or something. So... Yeah, it's it's that it's those top four, top five who are consistently firing for them. Gurbaz, I think, was their main batter coming into this. He's not had the kind of tournament yet that you could expect from him. He's had a few good innings, but hasn't been that consistent. If he comes, if he really gets into his own going forward as well, with the three matches that they've got, yeah, again, I don't want to talk about Afghanistan. <laughs> I don't want to really predict, I would say, of Afghanistan qualifying. I would love to see that. But if Gurbaz can also really come into his own, it would be fun. Yeah, I mean, he had a great knock against England. 80 from 60, I yeah. think it was. Um, and that really did show what he can do. But but other than that, he has shown a little bit. So if he can find that bit of form, there's, there's a great opportunity. Michael, Ricky predicted a few weeks ago <laughs> that Afghanistan could make the finals. It was a very optimistic, let's say, prediction. But they are currently in sort of the prime position to qualify um, for for the semi-finals if one of the top four teams slips up at any point. Um, they're only two points behind Australia and New Zealand on the same number of games. Their run rate isn't quite as good, but that could very t- that could turn around quite easily if Australia and New Zealand lose quite heavily at some point. Do you think Afghanistan do have any chance or or is it basically all over for them now and they just need to try and focus on actually winning a couple more games and, and playing as well as they can? No, I don't think they have a chance, to be honest. Um, Ricky's right that they could get to the final, but the chances of it are seriously, seriously slim. I mean, they did really well against Sri Lanka, like comfortable chase. A Sri Lanka team who were just on the back of beating England. They do have Netherlands still to play, which is, you know, they'd, they'd expect to win that. But after that, Australia and South Africa, two games. Can't see them winning both of those. So I think if anyone's going to challenge for those top sport, four spots, if one of the top four slip up, it's going to be Pakistan, not Afghanistan. Um, they just have so much more quality. I know they haven't played their best so far, but... They're on a different level to Afghanistan, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely would not predict them to get to the final. Sorry, Ricky. Um, but, you know, you never know. And it would be an amazing story if they did. I'd love it if they got to the semis and uh, then went on to beat India. And <laughs> I think the one thing that, that you do mention there, Pakistan, they, they actually 
they're, although they're two points behind and have played an extra game than Australia and New Zealand, they do still have to play in New Zealand. Um, so a win there would, would heavily dent New Zealand's chances of qualifying um, and really, really help Pakistan's. They also then have England to play in the final group game, which should be an easy win for them, really, when, when you look at all things. However, easy win and Pakistan don't really go down together and, and upsets are, is a much better word, I think, um, that fits with Pakistan. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But on New Zealand and Australia, um, they're now tied on points in third and fourth. New Zealand have started to lose a couple of games and aren't looking maybe as informed as they were at the beginning of the tournament, including losing to Australia in what was an absolute thriller over the weekend. Australia put on 388, David Warner 81 and Travis Head 109 um, for an 175 run opening partnership was absolutely Mental Travis Head coming straight back into the side after his injury, Ayush. Um, he's obviously been a great white ball player for a long time now, but, but how impressed were you with him? So good. First match of the World Cup coming after a fracture, was it, on his hand? That was just so good to see. And he's so crucial at the top because Australia, I think we spoke, Nick also mentioned it the other day, the way they bossed the power play. And while Mitchell Marsh can do that himself, uh, let's, you know, let's keep Warner aside because he's just consistent. He can do everything if he play, if he plays the way he is right now. So Mitchell Marsh can do that as well, can really get on top of the bowlers in that power play. But I think the way we've seen Travis head bat over the last couple of years across formats, wherever he's played, I think he's even more suited to that. To really get on top of the bowlers. He's fearless. He can like he did the other day, take the game away from the opposition in that power play itself. And he would, he would, yeah, he was, his form over the last year or two would, would have already given him good confidence. But the fact that he scored that 100 in such a quick one in his first match after the injury and the first match of this World Cup is just massive for Australia going forward. It just gives him even, him even more confidence. And yeah, I don't think they're going to be too worried about the lack of the left-right combination in opening as well with him and Warner because if they're both playing the way they do, then it doesn't really matter. No, I mean, it really shouldn't. They're, they're both in great form right now and it, and it really puts Australia in a strong position going forward. Michael, one thing that, that Australia did struggle with a little bit was their middle order. They, they managed to explode right at the end. Maxwell, Inglis and Cummins all scoring at an absolute rapid rate towards the end of the innings. But Mitchell Marsh, Steve Smith and Labuschagne got kind of held up a little bit after that opening partnership was broken. It's somewhat been a trend. They've had a few good games, Smith and Labuschagne in particular, um, in the middle overs. And Mitch Marsh hasn't batted there other than this first match. Do you think that that might be a problem long term or, or will it just be a bit of time for them all to settle into their new positions? Uh, I... I'm not mass a massive fan of having Smith and Labuschagne kind of one after the other. To be honest, I haven't been in the whole tournament. 
Steve Smith kind of struggled to re regain some form. Um, like when we've seen him top form in the past, he's one of the best batsmen in the world, but he's just really struggled. Their struggle kind of coincided with some amazing bowling from Glenn Phillips. 10 overs, 3.7 economy and three wickets. Like that is incredible from a... Is he a part-time worker? Definitely. Him? He was a wicketkeeper batsman not yeah. more than five years ago. That is insane. I mean, he seems to have a golden touch. Like, I remember he bowled really well against England in the first game. I didn't get someone out first. Got Root. You got, got Joe Root. Yeah. yeah, that was it, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just insane. I think, um, yeah, Smith and Labuschagne, I don't like personally, but I don't know who you, who you bring in their place. You know, they're such established batsmen. It's hard to drop them. Um, but they definitely slow down the innings so much, especially when, you know, Warner and Head put an opening partnership like that on the table and then Smith and Lab... I mean, Mitchell Marsh, 36 or 51, slowed it down as well, which you wouldn't expect from him. You know, he's, a, he's quite an explosive player normally. Um, so, yeah, New Zealand's bowling is probably a factor, I assume. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, impressive from the, you know, the... Lower middle order, Maxwell 41 off 24, Inglis 38 off 28, and Cummins 37 off 14 balls with four sixes in there. That's that's some that's some good going from Pat Cummins. So yeah, I just, I just wanted to give a little mention to New, uh, the New Zealand bowlers, in particular Glenn Phillips, because those numbers are really impressive against that Australia batting lineup. Yeah, he, he definitely, yeah, again, seemed to coincide, as you mentioned, with, with Australia starting to struggle. He got... David Warner as well, caught and bowled. Um, and yeah, Mitch Marsh seemed to really struggle to, to get on top of him and, and Santner throughout the middle overs. I think that's the thing, is it's such a different um, challenge to, to come in in the middle overs after your two openers have put on 200 runs in, in the first 20 overs rather than being out there at the beginning in the power play with less fielders um, on the boundary and, and you can attack a bit more. So, I mean, it might just take a few games for Mitch Marsh to, to really settle in. New Zealand, on the other hand, got off to a, a good start as well. Nowhere near as good. Um, Conway and Will Young making 28 and 32 respectively before Ratchin Ravindra made his second 100 of the tournament. 116 from just 89 balls. Looked really, really good yet again. Batted nicely alongside Mitchell, who made a half century and took the game quite deep, which was, which was very impressive from him. Got out in the 41st over, unfortunately, so couldn't quite see them home. But how impressed were you, Ayush, with Ratchin Ravindra? Very good. I mean, I'm right on top of the Ratchin Ravindra fan club. <laughs> and he's just so good. 23 years old and he keeps... Just the maturity that he's showing in these innings. Uh, the way he's batting, is perfect cricket shots. And he can even go big when needed. And he was really getting into the groove towards the end of the run chase, but yeah, unluckily just hold out there in the deep. But so good. He's, I think, is that the transition, that passing of the baton is happening very well from Kane Williamson to Rachin Ravindra. And he is just, I think, the perfect replacement for Kane Williamson while he's away right now, unfortunately because of the injury. But looking at the long term as well, he's just... And he's just a left-handed Kane Williamson in many ways. He really has been great, had a great tournament so far, and a breakthrough one at that. He'd barely played any ODIs before this World Cup, and he, he got drafted in at number three fairly last minute when Williamson wasn't available, um, and has just impressed pretty much every game since. Um, New Zealand almost got over the line, Michael. They were so close. Jimmy Neesham with a brilliant 58 
coming in towards the end of just 39 balls. But Mitchell Stark, after what was a pretty poor last couple overs, managed to hold his nerve um, and, and not get hit for six runs from the final or the penultimate ball to, to lose the match. Do you think that this sort of capitulation from Stark and Hazelwood towards, towards the end just shows that the Aussies maybe aren't quite as composed as, as we kind of all think them to be? Um, I mean, going into the tournament, I think, did we all have Mitchell Stark as the highest wicket team? I had Shane Sharp, really. So me, me and I used to both have yeah. Mitchell Stark. So, yeah, I, I, I think he has underperformed slightly uh, on our expectations. But, you know, he's... I don't know, he's, a, he's an experienced pro. I think uh, Josh Hazelwood has been the standout Australia bowler, to be fair. I think he's looked really, really impressive for Australia. Um, it's a shame for Stark, it'll probably be his last ODI World Cup, can you say? Um, so it's a shame he hasn't performed to his usual level. Um, but at the same time, you know, New Zealand were chasing that really good Australia score of 388. They were trying to pile on the runs, you know, it's not easy to bowl against. Ratchet Ravindra and Great Nick. Um, and uh, yeah, New Zealand have got some explosive batsmen in there, you know, Jimmy Neesh in particular. I mean, my memory of him is from that super over in 2019 where he smashed that six and I thought it was all over. But um, so yeah, there's, I think that's definitely a factor, you know, Mitchell Stark is, uh, and Pat Cummins are obviously both class bowlers. Um, and what a finish that would have been if they got six off that last ball. Really exciting. But yeah, um, and also just to go back to Ratchan Ravindra. Uh, in the top five most runs of the tournament, top is Quinton de Kock, second is David Warner, third Ratchan Ravindra, and then fourth Rohit Sharma, fifth Mohamed Rizwa. That top five, Ratchan Ravindra to be in that company, that's seriously impressive. In you know, this is a breakthrough tournament, you know, he's not that established, 23 years old, just seriously, seriously impressive uh, World Cup and he's an absolute shoo-in for any team of the tournament, that's for sure. Yeah, we'll be definitely doing a World Cup team of the tournament towards the end of, of the World Cup on the Sports Gazette, so make sure you head over there to read all of the articles. We also have our usual weekly roundup, and Ayush has a Canadian cricket article coming out very soon, so keep an eye out for that as well. New Zealand, yet again, seem to be faltering towards the end of, of the, the regular season, as you could call it, Ayush. Um, they've lost two in a row now uh, in this group stage. Do you think that, that actually just the easiest start they had was the only reason that, that they've, they're in the sort of top four discussion and they might go on to lose uh, the next couple of matches still to play Pakistan and South Africa, who are two great sides? Yeah, it could get tricky for them, but... I, I think they'll still get through because there's enough quality in this side. Yeah, they were, they've were they been in the top four since the start and like you mentioned, playing those uh, relatively easier games early on in the tournament did play a role in that. But given that I think they play South Africa, Pakistan and then Sri Lanka, are the, the, the three matches that they're yet to play, all tricky. The next two really important, South Africa and then Pakistan. But I think there's enough quality in this team to go through. Uh, they would want to, if, if they do lose to South Africa uh, in the next game tomorrow, they would be they would be really worried. So they would really want to get on top of that, get, get back to winning ways after two consecutive losses. But even if they end up losing to South Africa, I think they'll get the job done. There's, 
they've got quality and it's world cup cricket and it's new zealand uh, we've seen over the last few editions of world cups t20 as well as this they they make the most of it when it matters right we're coming towards the end of this podcast now but with just a few matches left in this group stage i want some predictions from each of you we've had our predictions before the world cup which haven't gone down very well but i want them all now let's go with i assume we're all agreeing agreeing the four semi-finalists are set in stone from here australia new zealand south africa india yeah i think so yeah i think yeah pakistan afghanistan have have a chance still but it seems very unlikely um, so I want your two finalists first, please. Ayush, I'll come to you. Wow, that's putting me on the spot pretty much. And how are they going to get there? Who's going to be playing who in a semi-final? You can sort of, you can discuss as well. Yeah, I, I see India, Australia in the semi-final. Uh, Australia might very well make into the top three and New Zealand fall to four. That's a very, I think, a big possibility given the fixtures that these teams have got as well. But I still feel that New Zealand will finish top three. And I see India, Australia and South Africa, New Zealand as the other semi-final. And if that happens, India, Australia will be at the Wankhede. It won't be as easy as you think it will be for India, playing Australia over there. South Africa, New Zealand at the Eden Gardens. And yeah, looking at these fixtures, it's just, it's, I don't think it's possible to bet against India making the final, winning the whole thing. But since we're talking about the final now, I right now I'm seeing an India-New Zealand final. And who to win it? India. Oh, okay. That's, that was interesting. Hard Michael, how, how about you? Who, who are you thinking is going to play who in the semi-final and, and who's actually going to win the final and who's making it there? So I think Australia will finish third. I think New Zealand will finish fourth. I think so India-New Zealand semi. South Africa-Australia semi. I think... I really want to say that New Zealand will beat India. I think that would just be... Really funny, Kane Williamson returning, like scoring a century. That would be amazing. But I've got to go with my head and go India final against. Find it hard to go against South Africa. I think they've looked imperious. I mean, their net run rate is just on another level to anyone else. Just that batting order is just so so good. So. I don't want to go for the top two teams in the group at the moment, but I'm going to go for India South Africa final, and and India win. Mm. As 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 boring as it would be, <laughs> India win. I'm similar to you, Michael. I think Australia might leapfrog New Zealand here into third, meaning they'll play South Africa in what could be a very tasty game. I think that depends really heavily on who bats first. If South Africa can bat first and put on some runs, which they probably would do, it would be very hard for Australia to get it to get not to have a chance in the game. But I also can see Australia maybe managing to if if they win the toss basically and just get lucky um, that they might go through. So I think Australia will get through to the final over South Africa, and I think India will manage to turn over New Zealand. But I actually don't know because India always seem to struggle in these sort of final crucial matches especially against New Zealand especially against New Zealand so I actually I might go for an Australia New Zealand final I'm going to mix it up a little bit Um, and I think Australia will will take the the World Cup leaving New Zealand as as bridesmaids again never quite making it and never quite winning the the title Um, 
But I think it is extremely hard to tell and, and this, this top four can still shuffle around. South Africa lose another game or two and, and Australia and New Zealand win their final three and they'll leapfrog South Africa into second and, and maybe even into third as well. But there's all still to play for, even if the four semi-finalist teams are likely done. Uh, that is all we have time for on this episode of the One Short Podcast. Thank you both for, for joining me as always. And we'll be back on Friday for another episode. We think it's been an India special as Aish hosts. Uh, Sunny will be back again and Manus will be making his debut. And we also have a very exciting podcast coming out next week as well. Over the weekend, we'll be interviewing Daniel Gallens, uh, the cricket journalist, who has some great views, hopefully, about South Africa. And we'll hopefully know whether South Africa might have already qualified for the semi-finals by then and, and whether... They might have beaten New Zealand in what will be a very interesting game tomorrow. Um, so make sure you stay tuned. Drop us a follow on Instagram. Uh, it's just at One Short Podcast. Um, and also head over to the Sports Gazette website to read all of our articles on cricket and also many other sports. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.